0: What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez Peak.
1: And I'm Noah Hertz.
0: And welcome to Press Start.
1: It is a video game podcast. That yeah, video games.
0: It's a video game podcast that sometimes talks about other video game podcasts, which yeah. is kind of like a snake eating its own tail. It is. But it
1: is. It's that media brain. We got that we got that we're immersed in like media type shit that we're like paying attention to what other podcasts are doing.
0: We're in the brine. We're in the juice, unfortunately. You're getting marinated right along with us. Uh, (laughs) So today we have just a couple of news items. And mostly we're going to be talking about some media we've been consuming. But we first like to kick it off with uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Bobby Kotick, uh, gave an interview to Variety. Um, he said a lot of interesting things in this interview.
1: Yes, this is this is Bobby Kotick. For people unfamiliar, the I think embattled is uh, is underplaying it a bit. He is the embattled CEO of Activision Blizzard, who has been at the helm of the company for a very long time and has been at the helm of the company while accusations about potentially the most toxic workplace imaginable have come out and been repeatedly uh i can't say confirmed obviously but credible they have been shown to be credible
0: (laughs) just the like the the descriptor embattled is such a funny like it's good way to describe would you call yourself embattled like anytime you do like a a minor inconvenience you're like embattled
1: i would not call myself embattled (laughs) But I'm not the CEO of a company that has like a frat house culture operating (laughs) inside of it. Like allegedly, allegedly a frat house culture. So Kodak spoke to Variety for everyone's favorite kind of journalistic interview, which is the this journalist got to sit down one-on-one with the CEO of a major company and was probably so elated that this person answered their email that they just kinda let it happen. Um, I don't know. What are you you read the article, I read the article. What are your thoughts on this?
0: It is uh it's man, it was like he would say something and I was like, oof, that's a little weird. But like I always have a bit like a normal person. And then oof, he says something that's a little weird. Um, and then it just kept going like that, uh, until we get to the point where he was like, you know, the the worst thing that's been happening to Active Liz lately has been we have a, uh, We we did have a very aggressive labor movement working hard to try and destabilize the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, he's like, "Oh, but like, let me be clear. Like, I'm not anti-union. Like, I, I am the only Fortune 500 CEO who is in a union. Which, like, on the surface, would be like quite a flex, you know?" Yeah, Um,
1: absolutely. But it's SAG aftra but, like...
0: but let me let me <laughs> explain. The journalist goes on to clarify. Yes, he is part of SAG after. The reason why is because when he was cast in a small role in the baseball in the baseball movie Moneyball, 2011, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, he uh, he played a small role and somehow got into SAG aftra And so now, like 12 years later, he's like, yeah, I'm part of a union um which god i love that (sighs) yeah that is
1: so great yeah i think the thing that got me too is the fact that he he characterizes the union and the labor movement that's operating within activision blizzard as being like these outside forces that are seeking to destabilize the company which is like look and this is why i tend to hate interviews like this when you like when when a journalist gets to sit down one-on-one with a person like this and i have no doubt that the person doing this interview pushed him on some of this stuff or at least i hope so because like that's your job you are supposed to hold powerful people to account to ask them tough questions and when you get that kind of an access when you get that in and you get through the door you owe it to everybody who didn't get through that door and doesn't get the opportunity to sit down with them to ask those questions but like of course he's going to say that the culture at Activision Blizzard is good. And of course he's going to say, oh my god, but we need to be at Microsoft. We need the merger to Microsoft to go oh through. My god. Because it would be better for all of us. Like, of course he feels that way. Of course and of he course, does. course he's going to characterize the labor movement as like this evil Bad. outside force. Yeah. But like, but like no, no, no. But he's in a union, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like I, I know that he's in Moneyball.
0: Noah, come on, he's a member he of the money working ball. class. He's in
1: Moneyball. The the author or the article clarifies this a little bit, and there's a bit of pushback in terms of the way the article is structured, where he will say like, "There's no problem at Activision," and then it will go like, "This was documented heavily and da 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 da." Yeah, yeah. But it's like framing it like that is something I have a bit of an issue with, you know, where it's like this is not this is not he said she said. This is documented abuse this is like well documented abuse that has been going on for a very long time and then someone who stands to benefit from everybody thinking it didn't happen going well of course it didn't happen you know and to like to put those two things up against each other as if they're like well he said this but they said this like and i'm not saying that that is 100 percent the framing but like that's how it reads to me you know and i just i don't know
0: It kind of reminds me of I don't know if you read this. I I read a little bit but not the whole thing. But Elizabeth Holmes of like Theranos Mm. Blood Scam Fame. They did a profile for her in the Times recently Mm. and she has rebranded to being like a trad mommy. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, I have found purpose and redemption in motherhood. That's like, okay, bestie, but some people got false negative tests for hepatitis. Yeah. Because your shit didn't work. Because it was a scam.
1: Yes, exactly. You know, like, exactly.
0: even if you do like the little pushback, little pushback, it's still PR for them. Yes. Like, it's still PR that Holmes got to have her little trad wife rebrand on The Times, even if The Times reporter was really not that pushbacking. Even if they were.
1: Wasn't the whole thing too that like she's calling herself Liz now? Right? Oh yeah, so she's yeah. Like, she's like, no no no, I'm not Elizabeth Holmes. I'm Liz. Yeah, right. it's, it's it's like, giving get fucked, It's giving dude. Lydia
0: Tar. It's giving <laughs>
1: <laughs> This was an interesting thing though, because this article broke the same week that a lengthy uh documentary is what people are calling it. It's a very lengthy YouTube. Video essay. Yeah, YouTube project from the folks at People Make Games put out that's kind of an update and a deep dive into what's been going on over at Zaum, the company that made Disco Elysium. And as a quick refresher here, the the Zaum Cultural Collective is a, a company that worked for years and years and years to put out Disco Elysium. They put it out, they're on top of the world, they're doing incredible, and then just when the, the final cut version of the game, like the director's cut that has additional content, and like that's the one I've played, comes out, uh, the key, some of the key creatives behind Disco Elysium are unexpectedly fired. And a, a new individual who was kind of not previously particularly vocal is now CEO. And so the creatives that got pushed out, chief among them is Robert Kurvitz, who's like one of the main writers on Disco Elysium says basically characterizes it as like a hostile takeover of the company and it was it was especially funny because that news came out and Kurvitz's comments came out like literally weeks after the announcement that the rights to a disco elysium tv series had been sold to amazon and people were like a little yucked out by that because like and i mean obviously like mm, you know
0: for obvious reasons Imagine a game so critical of capitalism being like, yeah, Amazon really the outlet that can like really show our message.
1: Exactly. You know how it is. Like critiques of capital are ultimately brought into capital so that they can be consumed and blah blah blah. There's a there's a better quote about that somewhere I'm paraphrasing. But the the people make games investigation into it. Did a couple of things and first of which Was that they they sat down With the individual who is the CEO at Satroom now his name is Ilmar Compass he Talks in the same brand Of CEO (laughs) speech that Bobby Kotick does and that's why it was kind of flagging a lot Of the same stuff when I was watching it but Um this is an active investigation right like the people make games team actually went to Estonia and like sat in the court proceedings for one of the hearings that's going mm-hmm. on with this like this is very actively happening and like as I know you know I know this some people listening might not when you are a journalist investigating something that is like actively going through the court system you do no. not have access to all the documents you know like yeah, there is stuff that is sealed yeah. there is stuff There is stuff that people Mm -hmm. you're interviewing won't tell you because they obviously do not want to affect the case. They don't want a potential juror to hear this stuff. So, like, this is people make games jumping in at, like, a pretty volatile time in this case because there are... Obviously, everybody wants to have the PR on their side. But also, Ilmar Compass can't say some stuff because he's in the middle of a legal case. So, he talked... He talked to Compass, he talked to Curvitz, and he talked to some of the other folks, too. And I will say, like, one of the things that has kind of rubbed me the wrong way about this whole thing about, like, uh, the key creatives being kicked out of the company, all this stuff, is that, like, Disco was not made by one person. And it was made by a, a huge team of people. And, like, it's it's true that the world that that games take pla- game takes place in was, like, chiefly made up by one individual with, like, his friends as a tabletop thing. Like... One person did not make that game. There was a big team of people. And the ultimately what they came to is that the, and I'm massively paraphrasing here, I seriously recommend you watch this video and we'll put links to it in the description. The The CEO of the company alleged that Kurvitz was not only a terrible employee and was making things a pretty shitty workplace, but also he alleged that he was working behind a bunch of people's back to... Work with other companies and potentially steal the IP, which is what he's alleging.
0: And then the other thing that other people have said that is that he took a little too much credit for writing Disco Elysium. Like he really liked making, allegedly, yeah. liked making it seem like he was the one behind it. And as you said, like Disco Elysium was not written yeah. by one person, but he would uh, yeah. allegedly throw out these types of claims, like I wrote fifty percent of it. Um mm-hmm. it's just yeah. scummy behavior.
1: Uh yeah, and like people made games, interviewed other people who worked on that team too, and worked really closely with Kurvitz. And um it was really cool. Like one of the people they interviewed was somebody who like some of the like fan favorite characters were like his creation, like totally his idea. And he was like, Oh yeah, I made this character and this character. And the guy interviewing him was like, You said you made this character and this character and this character. Kurvitz says he wrote 60 50 whatever percent of the game would you say that's true and he's like hell no that's not true we all work together we were a team but so you have compass on one side saying like oh he he tried to steal the ip and i can't talk about it anymore but then when he interviews Kurvitz, the the way the documentary is framed is such that compass is the first person that he talks to and then he talks to a bunch of employees at Sawum, and then he talks to Kurvitz. Kurvitz and uh, another individual, um, Alexander Rostov, who was also on the creative team. And it's, so you get to see, first you see Compass, then you see a bunch of little people who were affected by Kurvitz's alleged really shitty bossmanship, and then you see Kurvitz. But he says later on that when he actually sat down with Kurvitz, he had only talked to one of the other guys on the creative team at the time. So it was basically Compass was the first person he talked to because Compass reached out directly because he heard that they were trying to get a hold of some people to talk on the record. And then he talked to one person on the creative team who's still at the company and worked really closely with Kurvitz. And then he talked to Kurvitz. And then he talks to all these other people. So... A lot of it focuses on Kurvitz is a bad manager. He's a bad boss. He was kind of a shitbag to some of the people in the workplace, which, like, I don't doubt. I um, I, I forget who tweeted it, but I saw a really good tweet about it that was, like, the, the tragedy of all of this is that, one, somebody who was not good at management was forced out of just being a creative and forced into being a manager. And I think, like, I know people who don't, have management experience but because of the forces of their workplace and because of things happening they get forced into management positions and that's like that's not something you can learn overnight you know and like I'm not making excuses for this guy because some of the stuff he did it sounded like it was real scummy like I don't know how far you got into it but there was the allegation that like people the writers basically had to, like, audition to be a part of the Disco Elysium 2 team because they were dangling this thing of, like, we're going to make a sequel, do you want to work on it, over their head. And they had they would, like, write stuff, and then Kervitz was supposed to look at it, and then Kervitz never looked at it. And, like, that fucking sucks. And then they had to tell everybody, like... No, he just didn't like your work that much and you're not going to be selected for the team because he was never going to let them on the team to begin with. And like that really yeah. really sucks. It
0: really fucking sucks.
1: But also like but also like there's a good 30 to 45 minute chunk at the beginning of this documentary that is just explaining all of the weird and dubious stock trading that happened in the background that was like Okay.
0: Yeah, there's so many layers to oh this Oh my case. god,
1: I know. There was so much of it at the beginning. Oh my I felt god. like I needed to be taking notes. I was like working out while I was watching some of this and I'm like on an elliptical just like I really feel yes, like I need King. a fucking like I need a fucking notepad to follow this instead of like doing something else. Because it was like in 2011
0: Yeah, this is not a good workout video essay, I gotta say. It's too much brain space. It was like, in
1: 2011, this person, this person, this person, and this person all owned 20% of the company. In 2012, it looked more like this, and then this, and then this. And it's all these shifting things, and it's like these weird venture capitalists, and this uh, weird guy who was involved in an embezzlement scheme overseas, but is really good friends with Ilmar Compass, so he gets to come in and be an executive producer. And like... I have no doubt that this case is much 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 more uh, complex than the evil capitalists stole the cool games company from the brave workers because that does not seem like that's what happened but like two things can be true at the same time it can be true It can be true that Ilmar Compass wanted an excuse to oust some of these people so that he could take the company over for himself, and he did that. And it can also be true that Robert Kurvitz was a shitty fucking boss and should not have been in charge of people. And like.
0: Two things can be true. And I will say, like,
1: the People Make Games team did an insane job getting some of these people sat down with them. But like, some of the framing I didn't really love. And like, part of this is just like. As a journalist, I know how important it is to, like, think really hard about who you quote first and think really hard about, like, everything from, like, the descriptors you use about what people sounded like and what people talk like and this kind of stuff because, like... And you have to be really careful about how you characterize yeah. people
0: Yeah, well, so you craft a narrative Exactly Even with, like, descriptive Exactly, because
1: you have more information than the writer, the reader does And that's, that's something that you have to be constantly aware of And I don't know, I, I'm really glad they made this But I would love to see an update on this once this case is over with And once there is more information available Because there's just some threads here that, like, don't make sense, you know And... I know that there's just not the information out there for it to make sense, but I don't know. It, it was fascinating to me. I'm really glad it exists. Um, but yeah, I I have mixed thoughts about some of the conclusions, you know?
0: No, this was a really interesting video essay. I highly recommend reading it or reading the summary of it. Um, I know Eurogamer has a summary of it, as well as um, some other outlets, but it is it is fascinating. And again, I mean, like we're not going to know the full story until this thing is over, and it's not over it's still very current so I'm excited for um potential I shouldn't say excited I'm I'm eager to see a like sequel or follow up to this when more dust has settled because like you said this type of coverage is really delicate and really hard to do um but yeah it it is really wild uh you just never know you never know how a workplace is the other piece of news we do have in like in the gaming like media sphere is Waypoint is dead. But Remap rises from the ashes.
1: Vice's video games uh can you even call it a vertical? It was basically like Vice's whole
0: Yeah, it was a yeah, it was, it was Vice's whole
1: gaming chunk of their website, Waypoint, which grew to include Waypoint Radio, the very popular podcast, and in addition to that, Waypoint Plus, their streaming kind of like paid subscription arm of the company died officially June 2nd when everybody involved got laid off because Vice is going bankrupt and yeah out of the ashes we have um something new and I think I I don't know talk talk a little bit about what this looks like because this is fascinating to me
0: yeah I feel like this is like a where were you when you heard that waypoint was ending exactly um I I was uh I was scrolling on Twitter when I saw it, but I was like making coffee for myself. And I just saw uh one of them be like, Well, today really fucking sucks. And uh then I saw more of the tweets come out and I that like ruined my whole day, man. That I was like I was legitimately sad that entire day. Um, Waypoint is a big reason why this little show exists, and um even though our numbers are like <laughs> baby, baby numbers compared to anything Waypoint has probably ever touched. it They're really, they do really great stuff. Uh, y'all know we have Renata Price on here. She was amazing. Um, shout out to Renata for agreeing to interview with us, honestly. That was crazy. Um, but yeah, it was really sad to see that. And The other, I mean, I will say the episode they made right after they got the layoff news was hilarious. That is probably some of the funniest, like, audio I have ever listened to. Um, It was, that's a great episode.
1: Yeah. And also just, like, truly a fascinating choice by the higher-ups at Vice too, to allow, like, an arm of their company that is so vocally anti-capitalist to be like, look, I you guys now know that there is a time limit. You guys now know that you're getting laid off in a month, but you can keep podcasting in the meantime. And that's why, like, that's why this was all so wild, because like they launched their paid subscription service six months ago, whenever they did that. And and when they when this news came out, they immediately were like, Hey, maybe see if you can get refunds back on those annual subs. Because like obviously none of that money was touching them that was all going to vice and then all of a sudden like a week ago like a week or two ago one of them makes an offhanded comment at the end of an episode that is like hey maybe quit trying to get out of those annual subscriptions
0: i knew they were gonna do something i knew they were gonna cook up something
1: and like the it was just kind of like one weird little thing after another weird little thing that really pointed to the fact that, like, they were trying to do something. And the end result is that, like, yes, they didn't get the Waypoint name. And I think they talk a lot about that in depth at the the last episode of Waypoint Radio and the first episode of their new show, Remap Radio, that, like, this is not Waypoint 2. This is not a continuation of that. It's, It's a wholly new thing where they, instead of, like, having to chase what a C-suite media exec is telling them is going to be big. They get to just do whatever the fuck they want. But but it definitely got a little weird there towards the end. And the result is that all of their people who were subscribed to Waypoint Plus, sure, they're not going to see any of the money of somebody who subscribed back when it was still Waypoint Plus, but that entire subscriber base moves yeah, a great move. over to their new project, Remap. That was a great move. And that's crazy. I can't believe yeah. they convinced Vice to do that. Now, um, I think it was Patrick explained a little bit in the first episode of Remap that like part of that was when someone pays for an annual subscription and is then not refunded when said thing they paid an annual subscription for goes under. Like they could sue because they're not getting what they paid for. So part of this was getting Vice out of a lawsuit, you know, because now they're still gonna get stuff. People who paid for a year's subscription two months ago still get a year's worth of content. But it really does just blow my mind that they were able to pull that off. It feels like such a weird, scrappy little thing that they managed to do. And it's I don't know, I'm I'm so happy that they managed to pull something off, you know? Like
0: Definitely in the spirit of Waypoint for sure.
1: Oh, my God. I know. They they seized the means of production. They really, they really did, did that. It.
0: They really <laughs> did that. Yeah. And seeing all of this go down and go up and all of the things, it just reminds me a little bit of, um, well, it, it just like um, has me thinking about the current media landscape, games media, yeah. also just media in general, um, about like what happens if more people start doing this. Like, I, I kind yeah. of want to see more people start doing this and succeed. We know that there are places like MinMax that basically do this. Um, yeah. Although MinMax is not just a podcast. It's basically its own uh, like outlet. Um, yeah. Its own outlet. And I I like when people do this. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. yeah, it is. It does it get made fun of a lot when people are like, I'm on Substack now? Yes. But yeah, I but. I like it, and in this current media landscape, sometimes you just gotta fucking do it, and yeah. I, I, I well, really commend people who do
1: this. The especially fascinating thing to me, too, is, like, this is the end result of forcing media to be personality-driven for years, you know? That's true. It's like... It's like when, when the switch happened, I don't know how many years this was ago now, when companies like BuzzFeed, like Vice, oh, like yeah. Vox decided that what was more important was that the individual personality... Would, I mean, look at what happened at Bon Appetit and Condé Nast. Yeah. It's like It was this shift away from like the company name as the driving force of what was going to get people in the door to... You like Claire Saffets. You like Molly Boz You like Austin Walker yeah. And that's what gets you in the door to spend money at the company But like As the ad based model Of getting money Online Begins to really show Begins is very generous but you know what I mean Like shows mm-hmm. cracks in that whole system Like obviously this was going to happen Because what are you going to do You've got that fan base Of course you're going to take it and go elsewhere the remap radio Twitter account has ten thousand followers as of when I checked earlier yeah. today. Yeah, and, and you're that's right. I was fucking crazy.
0: I was just thinking about like, as a person who's worked at Vox, I did not work in the the video uh, area at all. I was, I worked in, um, I worked in print, like uh, audio. I was an audio fellow and did some print stuff as well. Um, but I can just name like a good handful of Vox alumni off the top of my head, who, like, have their own YouTube channel or their own media, like, empire and their own right. I mean, Ezra, uh, I was not Ezra Miller, Jesus. Um, <laughs> no, Ezra Klein, Carlos Maza, Cleo Abram, Johnny Harris. These people are personality driven, and you're so right. Um, I remember, uh, BuzzFeed at one point, I believe they still have this, but BuzzFeed went really hard on its like um latina audience at one at one point they made this uh, uh this vertical called beto like and the original cohort of Pero like uh it was like five people and they're very very buzzfeedy funny millennial quirky like you know and very like related to like the second third generation hispanic immigrant family thing um and they were on all their videos on Facebook and like articles, and you know they see two videos where it's like the better like crew all tries papoosas and they rape pupusas and like who can guess who cooked what dish, and they all work out yeah. together, they all do these like viral challenges, you know, very Buzzfeedy.
1: and That's cute. they've yeah. all since
0: moved on basically the none no one from the original better like uh cohort is there anymore, yeah. but they're all kind of doing their own thing um Mm -hmm. and yeah i remember this starting to be a thing like yeah middle school maybe remember like Hmm. buzzfeed unsolved and like yeah
1: try guys
0: you know like try guys are a big one yeah
1: so that's why it's it's interesting it's just so interesting yeah these these companies are playing with fire when they when they tell individuals to like all right your brand is now what you're selling it's like when condonast and buzzfeed got in all that hot or buzzfeed Oof. when condonast and bon appetit went under because of all that nonsense like bon appetit hemorrhaged viewers but claire Saffitz sold a shitload of cookbooks and like
0: and i own one
1: yeah me too and
0: sola is on new york cooking
1: exactly like these people the individuals did fine and that's why i was watching the it was really cool to see because the the way remap radio as they're saying right now is going to work is that it's going to be a weekly podcast they're not going to do two podcasts a week it's going to be a one once a week podcast and then some twitch streams that's going to be uh patrick rob and kato from the waypoint crew and then ren is going to hang out for a while and do occasional hosting until she starts seriously with game dev next year or yeah next year later this year and Later this year, and she's going to be working on a a Disco Elysium inspired tactics game. Oh my god! Fuck yeah! So excited for Um, her. I will pre-ordering that shit. Yeah. Yeah, but like, it was really cool hearing Patrick say on Twitch, "Like, look, any money you give to this now." Goes directly to us. Like, there's no middleman now. There's no, there's no having to think about like, well, I really like these creators, but do I want to support Vice as a company? Like, no, you're supporting these people directly. And Patrick's launching a Substack where he's gonna write about like the intersections between gaming and parenting. Rob has talked about doing something as well. So it's, I don't know. It's there. There is a universe where this breaks bad, and every single one of them goes on to just be like a comms person at a different video game company. And just leaves all this shit behind. But, like, instead they get to keep doing what they're doing and have a community and keep that that kind of uh, surge of interest in their interests and what they like talking about going. And it's great. You love to see it. I'm, I was really happy to see that. Yeah. I, every now and then media is good.
0: Yeah. Every, yeah. Media is good when people take it into their own hands. Uh we are yeah. we are really out here seizing the means of production. Um <laughs> I yeah, this actually inspired me. It got me thinking about like our show and what we want to do and like all sorts of things like that. I was like, damn, we really should like take things into our own hands. Uh it also makes me like as a person who's currently like furloughed on the job search, anxious, um, makes me a little less anxious for a long time like I've had people be like oh why didn't you make a newsletter or whatever and I've always been like I don't know uh you know I've had this idea I've been toying with for a while a particular uh reported story slash personal essay I've been toying with writing about that would require me to do some traveling for reporting reasons and I've been toying with this since like March um and now I'm like, okay, how much would it cost? How long does it take for me to drive there? It has me thinking about those things and actually making some ideas I have come to fruition. So welcome to the world, Remap. We love to see it.
1: Outside of the media sphere, it's a reminder that, hey, it's summer. And uh, the stuff that's not E3, but it's basically E3, is coming down the pipe.
0: Yeah, it's hot gamer summer. Uh, we Hot have, it's the first week of June, uh, approaching second week of June, and we are right on the cusp of the E3 that isn't E3, that includes <laughs> a whole litany of things, that includes Summer Games Fest, Day of the Devs, Wholesome Direct, and uh, much, much more, but next yep. week I can definitely sense we're going to be talking about some of this stuff, because on yeah. the on the 8th is... Summer, game, Summer Games Fest and Day of Devs. Uh, on the 10th is Wholesome Direct, which we covered last year. I uh, wonder what kind of animals will be there. Will, will there continue to be frogs? Suprem- frogs, yeah. Frog Supremacy? Will there be more Capybaras? I do think Capybaras will be a sleeper hit.
1: I'm yeah, predicting it. Animal Well has it.
0: I I have a, a game downloaded onto our Steam Deck called Capybara Spa. Uh where you put them in little uh onsens and you make sure they're like taken care of Um, yeah i'm just calling it now there will be cabbie bars uh and uh xbox showcase and starfield direct on the 11th so there's gonna be a lot of stuff going on what do you think we're gonna see here
1: i i really don't know i'm gonna be honest i really don't know um I I can't really think of any like big titles that are probably gonna get like I don't know big blowout things or big show off stuff. Like I
0: will say they did do we did get news the basically the the last news we got about Silk Song mm. at one of these last year.
1: That's true. That's true. And I know it was just recently announced that it was like officially delayed but like mm-hmm. maybe there's another trailer that comes out yeah. maybe a, another release date something like that yeah I think silk song is possible um, yeah I don't know I'm curious to see if starfield is actually on track to come out when it was supposed to come out like I don't know I'll be I'll be interested to see. Um, I'm assuming too that we'll probably get something from Nintendo in here you know like Nintendo yeah, always shows off something in yeah Doom. I
0: was I was joking with you that like, all of the list of things that are happening in the second or third week of june I'd list it out to you uh, and I was like oh suspiciously there's no Nintendo direct, but knowing Nintendo it'll be like june 21st at 2 pm and they'll exactly. announce it like twelve hours before
1: um, yeah but that's exactly.
0: that's how it's gonna be uh so i I could see that happening I could potentially see uh i I could potentially see something like that um because. After Tears of the Kingdom, there really hasn't been much about like, ooh, new Nintendo games on the horizon. Yeah.
1: Everyone's and, just been kind of basking in the sunlight of which, Tears like, of the Kingdom.
0: Get that bag. I I mean, get that bag, Nintendo. You did a great job. But yeah, they haven't they don't really have anything major on the horizon, so the water's been kind of calm, which makes me wonder if there is like a a bigger announcement uh on the horizon. I'm I'm very curious about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It'll uh it is kind of funny, yeah, because like I I think it would be silly to make a huge game announcement right around the release of a Zelda game, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. nobody wants to get caught up in that. So, it'll be interesting to see like uh what happens in the immediate wake of that once the Zelda fervor has kind of quieted down a little bit. Yeah, so. not gonna
0: lie. I think I saw like maybe 3 tweets about Street Fighter 6. That was it. Like, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's a great time. But... Yeah, I played the demo. The demo was <laughs> Did fine. You? But the
1: demo, yeah, the demo was fine. But it included like, um, it was mostly so that you would play around with like the single player mode in the game. And the single player mode is this thing where it's like you make a Street Fighter, and then you like go and follow a story about like being the best. And, oh, like, you like uh, you make a guy. You make a guy, and then, is that like, normal at,
0: for Street Fighter? I feel like you get no, to choose no, no, the... No. Yeah, like, you're Chun-Li, you're this guy. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so I think it seems like the idea of it is, like, as you play throughout the story mode, like, after you fight Chun-Li, maybe you'll unlock, like, her kick thing, and then you can assign that to one of your buttons and that kind of thing. So it's all about creating a character. But, like, that's not really why I come to fighting games, you know? Like, I don't play a whole lot of fighting games anymore, but, like, when I was really into fighting games, like, it was all about, like getting good at characters so that I could play against real people online as oh, those characters. I mean,
0: we've talked at length about Soul Calibur growing up.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: It'd be kind of weird if they made a Soul Calibur and it's like, you could make a guy, you could make a guy who does this little Voldo dance and a little Ivy Whip. I mean, whip. Be like, they
1: have, they do have the character creator Oh in Soul shit, Calibur, you're right, you're which right. Which is great. They do, they yeah, do. Yeah, it's great. But also, like, you're not going to, like, like, the competitive base is not interested in that, you know? Like outside of like making a funny guy online but Oh
0: true the monster the monster factory episode of Soul Calibur 6. Yeah, exactly. Had me fucking dying. So yeah, you can make a guy in Soul Calibur, but it's not really emphasized. I don't know. It's not it's not what I think of when I think of these types of games.
1: I was really into like the Marvel versus Capcom games when I was younger. But I was never playing Marvel vs. Capcom like I want to make a guy who has Spider-Man's web swing and reuse Hadoken. Like I just wanted to learn how to do good combos as Dante, you know. So I
0: could not imagine that like in Smash. Like I come to Smash to be Kirby and like down B and and suck up items. I mean,
1: Smash has that too with the Miis, you know. Like it's there. Are the Miis... Are the Mies Yeah, an I, ultimate? Guess, but I forget, Don't the Miis
0: The mees have like their own combat. That's though. true. Like yeah, the, in the 3DS like and Wii U. like a me set one. of moves. Yeah, in
1: the 3DS and Wii U one, it was more customizable. But I think in the an ultimate, it's just like here is the gunner me, here is the punchy me, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I don't know. Street Fighter eh, looks fine.
0: Street Fighter, meh. Well, on that train, what have we been playing besides the Street Fighter demo? Yeah,
1: really. Um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first?
0: Yeah, I'll go first. So, Zelda check-in. Zelda check-in. Uh, Zelda check-in. I I went to the water temple, and I got my ass beat. Oh, damn, really? And it was, yeah, it was embarrassing. You get to the water temple, and there's all these, you know, constructs, these these robot guardian guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have about 14 hearts, but I was there with about eight hearts left. I'd taken some damage on the way up to the temple, as one does. Yeah. And one of them one-shotted me, <laughs> and I was like... Shit hmm i don't know if i should be here right now uh and i was just like not feeling it i had just done the good uh, the uh gore the fire temple oh, okay cool like a week or so before and i was like i don't know if i'm ready for another one of these i think i might need a little hiatus yeah like just doing shrines and doing side quests and then maybe i'll come back but i i am starting to get the itch of like i should probably start doing some more story yeah. things i am encountering some side quests that I can't do until I do all four temples. Oh, whoa, really? And I'm like, whoa, yeah. So I think I'm going to try just to to keep plugging away at shrines. And then once I'm like, once I get one or two more hearts, I'll get back to the water temple. Yeah. Uh, I did do this fun quest where someone uh in the Northwest region is like, have you found a skeleton horse? There's a skeleton horse around here. Oh, wow. And so I found a skeleton horse, and I rode it back to the stable where this guy was requesting a skeleton horse, and I rode it back, and everyone was terrified, like, you know those like uh those traveling salesmen who have their own horses yeah. around the stables. Yeah, yeah. I was like riding my skeleton horse back to the stable, and they like ran to get out of my way. Oh my god,
1: that's awesome! Like
0: you run and people are like, <gasps> like they're like horrified at me <laughs> with like this bone horse and. Huh. I show it to this guy, and he's like, wow, look at that. Nice bone horse. Blah, blah, blah. Nice boat horse, bro. And then he, like, gives you a reward. He's like, okay, in the same vein, it would be super cool if you rode something like a horse, but it wasn't a horse. For example, if you rode a bear back to here, I would be really impressed. Whoa. And so now he's having me just, like, ride things that aren't horses like horses. Oh, that's funny. Um, And... I have tried riding a bear, and they, like, really suck your stamina. Um, I've recently maxed out my stamina, so maybe I should go back and try to find another bear to ride back to this dude. But, yeah, very interesting side quest. I did try to register the bone horse, and they didn't let me. Aww. The uh, stable keeper was like, I don't board horses like that. That horse is out of a nightmare. Damn. And I was just like, "Damn, why are you so mean to him? He is just a boy. He is just bone."
1: Mm. Um. That's really funny you say that though about like side quests because I'm kind of feeling the same. Like, um, I went and did the Wind Temple, so I have the the bird stuff now. So I've done two. I've done Lightning and Bird Temple, and um,
0: Lightning and Bird Temple,
1: yeah. So is it wait. Oh no, no no, like I did the lightning temple and the bird temple, not like the lightning so you bird did, temple. So you
0: did the Gerudo?
1: Yeah. Is it the That Gerudo was the first one? one I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, I haven't even touched that.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I I didn't even
0: know that. I was like lightning. Temple. Oh, that's funny, wow. yeah. Yeah,
1: I went and did the Gerudo one first. Um I think we talked about this last week, maybe. I was saying that like yeah, I, I... Everybody I knew did the bird one verse and I was like, I don't wanna do the bird one like everybody else. I just went to the desert, decided to fuck around and that was a lot of fun. But it was funny Bet. going back and doing the bird one because like it was very clear I was supposed to do that one first. Like it mm-hmm. was it was yeah, easier. It's easy. Yeah, exactly. It was much more straightforward. Like it um there were elements of it that almost felt a little tutorially in terms of like doing stuff and yeah. like it wasn't that much easier like I still had fun obviously but like it was kind of funny where I was like oh I kind of I, I didn't sequence break but like in a more rigid game I would have sequence broke um, but I'm kind of feeling the same like I showed up at Hetano Village for the first time a night or two ago when I was playing and I got overloaded with side quests I need to do and I was walking around. Oh,
0: the mayoral yes. campaign. I was doing some stuff. Oh my God. And I was just
1: like, maybe I should just like go do another dungeon. I was like, I kind of feel like the game wants me. I don't even know if it's the game or if it's just me. Like, I feel like I need to go like do something important and then come back here and participate in the mayoral yeah. election.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'm, I've gotten to the point where I have about 80 shrines, which is like a fair amount. That's like the m- most shrines. Yeah. I know there's like a hundred and twenty or hundred and thirty wow. something shrines. So I'm like I've gotten a lot of them. Yeah. Uh I still haven't explored much of the depths. Like I explore the depths when there's like a little hole in the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and I jump down it and I like scope the area and get a couple of light roots and then I just go back up. So I have like a very patchworky map of the depths right now. Yeah, same here. Um so I should probably do better, but like Whenever I, I would go there, I'm always, like, my guard's up. I'm always like, oh, God, something's going to kill me. Um, so I'm trying to feel more comfortable being in the, in the depths. Yeah. I did explore one section of the depths. That was the string of islands off the east coast uh, of the land. Mm-hmm. There's one island called Tingle Island. Oh, cool. And on that area, there is uh, a chasm you can jump into. Really? And get some, yeah, and get a... Uh, a clothing item in a chest. I did a
1: few things like that too. I, w- I ended up at Eventide Island, um, the island from Breath of the Wild where you like lose all your stuff and you have to like do kind of like hoofing it from scratch. Oh, yeah. It was not the same yeah. in this game as it was in Breath of the Wild, but there was still some really cool stuff okay. going on there. And um, I will say yeah, I'm if I have a complaint that I'm developing about Zelda, it's that I know that it needs to be inclusive to people who did not play Breath of the Wild But it is a little weird when I encounter characters who were in the last game and they don't really say like, oh, hey, Link, good to see you. Like, I encountered Bolson, like the really flamboyant carpenter for a side quest I did. And I did like a whole side quest with this guy. And when I met him, there was no like, oh, hey, how are you doing? He was just talking to me like I was some schmuck who just wandered up. And I was like, don't you remember when I helped you rebuild a whole town in the last game? Like i i get that it needs to be kind of like open for players who didn't play breath of the wild but part of me is just like i do wish there was a little more of people being like oh what's up link
0: i do (laughs) think sequels sequels have the right to be a little more closed yeah
1: exactly but i get it you know i can't really fault them for that too much but by the same token i'm like i do wish somebody would be like hey saving the world again link like oh how's it going (laughs)
0: Yeah. Speaking of Terrytown, Jesse is trying to like build his house right yeah, now. Yeah, what is
1: what's up at Terrytown? I've seen some pictures online of people doing like weird house building. Is that like a whole thing you can do there? I haven't been there yet. Yeah,
0: and you have to like it's like modular. You have to like get like this room and that room and this little That's kitchen cute. and like put it together. You have to you have to build it mm-hmm. uh like with ultra hand. Oh god. Um, and it seems like fun, but man, the price of housing. Like, one little room is, like, 1,500 rupees. Damn. And it's, like, my guy is living in a shack. Like, I'm sorry, dream home, Terrytown. Like, yeah. it's rough out here. Zelda
1: cutting a little too close um, to the real can world. Can I get yeah. a studio?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I see just a studio. Jesus. Yeah, I like Zelda's housing deal. Zelda has, like, a cute little home, little loft, and then she has a basement well. Oh, wow. I think that's the vibe. I think that's a perfect work-from-home space. Hmm. So... I think that's what I would like to do. But yeah, I'm too broke for building myself a house in this game, unfortunately.
1: That's um, very But Jesse funny. is
0: trying. He's trying to raise some money and build himself a Tarrytown house. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my Zelda update. Yeah, that's um, pretty
1: much my Zelda update too. So we'll knock that out before we get to my stuff.
0: Yeah. The other thing I've been watching is I love a good cult documentary. It's like, it just scratches a part of my brain. I just love it. I just love like being like, how did you get yourself into this situation? You know? Um, and I am currently watching the docuseries Shiny Happy People. It's out on Prime Video. It just came out yesterday. It talks about the religious organization that the Duggar family is associated with. Like, people think the Duggar family are just like, oh, some weirdos who had like 20 kids. Um, I mean, yes, they are. But also, there is like an overarching ideology it's not just them uh they are the poster child for this ideology but it's really not just them and um they're part of the iblp which is the institute and basic life principles
1: what a nondescript ass name that's incredible
0: it's like very like a fundamentalist baptist uh sect within christianity and uh there's just a lot there's a lot of weird shit going on in there and uh a lot of misogyny a lot of abuse of power etc etc but it is fascinating to me uh how people end up in these situations and they do actually interview one of the eldest Duggar daughters who is like not living that lifestyle like she has like a very normie family now she's married she has like only two kids sends her eldest kid to like public school like super normie has a nose ring like oh, wow yeah uh, yeah it was just very rebellious given she wears pants again not something her mother did uh mm-hmm. not really and she's like describing uh how she grew up on television and it's horrifying you know like there's they show like parts of the the tv show you know 19 kids and counting and the extent to which the children use this content, I didn't think of it this way growing up. I just be like, "Oh, all these weird people. Like, I used to watch 16 and Pregnant as a kid. I used to watch, like, uh, like uh, My Strange Addiction and, like, MTV's True Life and I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant, all these, like, weird ass reality shows, being a-, a child of the 2000s, uh, home for summer break, and you're just, like, watching whatever, like, filth is on TLC or the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Um, so I did watch my fair share of Duggers and I was just like, Oh, these are just like weird people being weird. I guess they have a lot of kids. Um, but the children truly are the content. They show a, a part where one of the eldest daughters is like baking bread for the entire family. And she's like baking little loaves of bread individually for like 22 people. And she's like huh. in the kitchen, just slaving away and the camera's on her, and, like, you hear her mother's voice narrating over it, being like, I love the way how Jenna is so organized. Look at her. She's such a hard worker. And yeah. I'm just thinking in my head, holy shit, this is child labor. Um, yeah, this is yeah. literally child labor. And it's, like, part of the TV show. And uh, now, I mean, The Atlantic did an article about the children of social media influencers and how a lot of them regret their childhoods and feel like their childhoods were just used for content and you're seeing that yeah. in some of like the older who are now adults dugger kids being like we were the original influencer kids they kind of were yeah they really uh, were yeah. they really were and one of the more horrifying uh parts was they talk about the last dugger kid who i guess is still a kid uh but they talked about how when michelle Duggar gave birth to this last kid it was a, a bad situation i believe she had preeclampsia they had to do a C section to save her life.
1: Um, oh my god!
0: Yeah, really bad situation. Baby was born like three months early, uh, but they showed the C section on television.
1: Ooh.
0: They showed the baby come out, the blood, the guts, the umbilical cord, and I was just like, am, like that child was born on TV.
1: Yeah, that's weird. Like that
0: is that is peak childless content. Like that child's entrance into the world was televised and i'm pretty sure this kid is still a kid because they were just interviewing like the one or two eldest kids who are like in their 30s now this kid's probably like seven (laughs) um so it's not doing much uh but it was like horrifying and uh i was just like yeah this is a thing we're grappling with even in secular spaces you're seeing these like you know moms on tiktok like showing their kid like having a temper tantrum or saying something yeah. stupid or taking a bath and we kind of have accepted it and yeah uh, it's
1: deeply Truman show-esque in, it's, in some yeah, really it's, dark yeah now ways. that I think yeah. about it
0: like those Duggar kids grew up in the Truman show straight up yeah like it's kind of a miracle that to my knowledge two of the eldest kids turned out normal uh one of them turned out to have child pornography and like be in jail so there's that yikes uh yeah. but yeah it is it is a miracle that even one of them turned out to like be it, it, to some extent mentally okay uh yeah. but yeah it it's a fascinating documentary there's a lot yeah. of like the cult and the religion part which is one thing but the actually the most interesting part to me is not that it's the like idea of a person's existence being entirely televised um yeah very very good docu series uh shiny happy people Uh, What about you?
1: (laughs) Well, I guess my my last thing that we haven't really talked about yet is the fact that both of us, like, just shortly before jumping on to record, saw the new Spider-Man movie, Across the Spider-Verse. And rather than gab about it, before we got on a recorded call, we were like, let's just wait and have our our candid reviews here. Um, What did you think about Across the Spider-Verse? I really liked it.
0: I also really liked it. I will say it didn't know how to land the plane. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, oh, yeah. We were, uh, we I we guess like warned. spoiler warning for this movie too. By the way, like we're probably gonna talk about some serious spoilers. But.
0: Yeah, but like we'll, we'll get there. Um, God, the art in this movie is beautiful. Like <gasps> it was so pretty. It the first so, movie was so good, but the scenes with Spider Gwen and her dad are just fucking gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it was. Well, I was blown away by how good this movie. Oh looked. my god, yeah. it was
0: so good. I love Miles's mom. I know people are horny posting about her on Twitter. I've seen it. It's not what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that does not surprise me. People are horny posting about her. That's very funny.
0: Yeah, but uh, God, I, I love the interactions between Miles and his mother. I love the things that she says to him in Spanish. I love that she says, Dios te, uh, te bendiga. I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's just like, damn, it really hit me. It reminds me of some yeah. of the women in my family. And um, Miles is really going through it. I feel really bad for him in this one. Yeah. I I love the, like, coalition of spider people. Uh, it's so great. I was kind of, I will say there was one part where I was kind of giggling, where um the Miguel, who is, like, the Spider-Man overlord, you like, yeah. Spider-Man CEO, was, like, everyone has these canon moments. Like, Uncle Ben's going to get shot. This police yeah. chief will get crushed in the rubble. Like, all these things will happen in every universe. And, like, Miles fucked up by going to the india spider-man universe and saving this one guy one time uh and it shows like there's like a it it pans to all these spider people mourning their uncle ben or uncle ben equivalent and you actually see clips of like some of the older spider-man movies like you see like andrew garfield yeah and there is one part where they zoom out and all the spider webs of like important moments in people's lives and there was one tiny sliver where you see an ugly crying toby Maguire, and like yeah. i was trying not to laugh <laughs> Yeah,
1: or but, like yeah there was there's reference to the the mcu marvel movies with donald glover being there and like yes. with reference to dr strange yep. and shit like that yeah but, i mean they they didn't they, show yeah. tom
0: holland or iron man yeah
1: but, but they like, did reference, like, that little nerd or some shit. Like, yeah, you know? you know, like,
0: I'm a fucking twerp. Um, it Holland. is wild.
1: Like, I, I don't know where you're at with MCU stuff, but it is wild how much these movies just run fucking laps around the MCU movies. <laughs> like, it's fucking crazy. Like, I enjoyed um, No Way Home as much as The Next Guy. I thought it was good. I think most of the weight was carried on the back of, like, sam raimi era uh nostalgia frankly but like i this movie just like blew i mean i to compare them is a little unfair but like if you had to compare them this one blows that one out of the fucking water and yeah it was really cool they showed like a they showed video game Spider-Man, the one from the Insomniac game, which was kind of cute. And, like, there are a lot of things I liked about this movie that were not just, like, point at the screen and, oh, my God, what a cool thing. But, like, the the way that it it recognizes that what makes the Spider-Man stuff good is, like, these these relatable archetypal moments and characters of, like broke kid and losing a family member and realizing that you can't do everything on your own and remixes and remixes and remixes like it was just so impressively done and the beauty of it too is that like when they're rambling on and on about the multiverse and shit, at least it looks fucking gorgeous. So it's yeah, like, it it's doesn't true. fall back to just, being just like, two, like two people. It wasn't just, like, Doctor
0: Strange having three eyes and, like, looking like he's exactly. gonna have a stroke or, like, It wasn't b- just, like, Benedict
1: Cumberbatch, yeah, looking yeah. at the camera, like, oh, I'm Benedict Cumberbatch. It's like, no, he God, I love that scene incredible. at the end of
0: the Doctor Strange movie where, like, well, there's one scene where he has his third eye awake and he's like, ah, he's, like, you know, doing all this crazy shit and it's like, oh, his third eye only opens when he's doing crazy crazy shit and then it pans like the end of the movie and he's just like out there walking around like walking around starbucks and he's like his third eye is open and it's like bro this is just...
1: <laughs> god i hate that I don't know, man i don't know like um i yeah i don't know i really enjoyed it there there were moments in the animation that like because of the lighting and everything like it's a very stylized movie and they did like every individual spider character and their world having such a unique look was so incredible but also like there were there were moments where it looked photorealistic Like the rain would hit something just right Or the light would hit something just right That I like legitimately went Like I would believe that this wasn't animation And like that's not the kind of stuff I tend to come to animation for I tend to come to it for the zanier stuff that can't be done in live action Without spending a gazillion dollars on mid-CGI It and and... still
0: looks like really weird and bad Exactly and yeah. but this
1: had both it had both scenarios like not only was the cgi incredible but also like yeah you got to see stuff that looked like it may it may have been real and also just like the the insane mobility and the crazy just like everything the the way miguel moved where he was like practically running on all fours like a beast at the time is like they couldn't have pulled that off convincingly in live action and it was it was really good i liked it a lot um, I think one one thought one thought I had watching that movie Uh, one you are right it had a bit of a trouble sticking the landing I think and I kind of yeah I kind of forgot that this was billed as part one of a part like a two-part duology type thing you know so like at the two-hour mark it's like there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> we went to get popcorn at the concession stand Uh, We went to an AMC uh, and the guy was like making our popcorn and he's like, what movie are y'all watching? And we were like Spider-Man and Jesse was like, oh, I've heard uh, some stuff about the ending. And the guy was like, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but like it ends very suddenly. And we're like, Hmm, interesting. And we went and yeah, there were like several points in the film where the music is swelling and it's, like, panning the camera out or away. And I'm like, oh, it's going to end. Um, particularly when Miles is in, like, Earth 42, which is, like, the bad place. Where there's no Spider-Man and, like, like <laughs> yeah. his uncle, I guess, like, becomes his stepdad. I don't know. Real, real bleak shit. Um, and... Yeah. He, he walks out to the top of the apartment building and there is a memorial, like graffiti picture of his dad, like captain, father, husband, leader. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it's oh like shit, my dad's dead. Apes. Yeah. It's yeah. such a planet of the apes. Yeah. It's the end of moment. planet of the apes. Yeah. And I was like, that's how it's going to end. Um, And then it didn't. And then he was just like hanging around getting tortured by his uncle. And then, and, and then himself. his like Travis yeah. Scott version of himself is like, I am actually Prowler, and you're like, oh yeah. okay, but like this is the bad place, <laughs> I guess. Um, yeah, it just I, just kind of stuck wonder, around for like twenty minutes yeah. too long, I think.
1: I kind of wonder if it's gonna be like uh, it's gonna be like the Force Awakens, where like it ends with like a really dramatic encounter, and then the next movie is gonna start, and then Prowler Miles is gonna be like yeah cool let's get you back to your your home let's get you back all right yeah cool sounds good yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: they sent them they sent them back home with like some um, takeout they're like here's some food bye-bye yeah like, exactly
1: like sorry dude sorry we, sorry we tied you up i apologize for that uh we just didn't know what was going on yeah um it was funny because i read one review of the movie before i went in uh, i think it was the review on vulture and it was like it's better to know that this is a two-parter going in. Than to be blindsided by that at the end and be like, oh, they didn't wrap up a bunch of stuff. And I totally agree with that. Like knowing that, yeah, knowing that this two plus hour movie like wasn't going to wrap up everything going in was kind of nice considering like, man, there was a lot of stuff at the beginning that really it really served more to just like build character background and like get you to relate to these characters like you've spent a long time in what was functionally a cold open just hanging out in Gwen Stacy's world and so like not going and knowing that like I was getting all of this stuff instead of a breakneck pace story that was gonna try to wrap up in two hours like I was cool with it and I I just really love spending time in those places that look so cool like I don't know um I guess the only other thought I had that is even potentially negative is the fact that, boy, Spider-Man sure does have a troubled history of positively associating himself as a character with the NYPD. Oh, yeah.
0: There's a lot of cop dads in this uh, one. I was like, uh uh-oh. There's
1: that... There's that scene where Gwen's talking to her cop dad, and she's like, You put on your badge because you don't want somebody who shouldn't put on the badge put on the badge, and that's why I put on the Spider Man mask. And I'm like, I get it, but like the actual NYPD has a very fraught history with racialized abuse, with uh, doing very bad things to people for. No reason other than the fact that they do wear that badge, and yeah, like, they
0: also have a bad history a with Spider Man. I feel like Spider Man, yeah, and other yeah. <laughs> versions, has been like, Oh, shit, the He's cops not always are here, buddies with the NYPD. yeah, so but exactly. all of a sudden, we have like the my dad's a copification of Spider Man, um,
1: yeah, and I mean, they were I always I think there,
0: like, yeah. it was always like, Oh, my girlfriend's yeah. dad, you know, that's always that was always like a tension, yeah. um, but. Yeah, having, like, the direct familial connection is kind of a new thing.
1: Um, and it's, it's like, there are interesting ways to tell that story. And I think, I think the last movie did a really good job of threading that needle in an interesting way, considering, like, Miles's uncle is, like, somebody who had some shady connections going on. And, like, his dad knew that he had a bit of a shady past, and it was suggested that, like, maybe his dad had been caught up in some of that, too. So there's, like, this interesting tension of, yeah. like... I don't know, what what do we let family members get away with even when we're in a position of yeah. power where maybe we shouldn't? And you see that same tension with Gwen and her dad where he talks about, like, quitting the force because he's not going to arrest his daughter for doing something. But, yeah, by the same tension, like, it, it's the opposite side as you get the Spider-Man PlayStation game where it's like, what's up, Spider-Man? Can you go put up these surveillance drones so that we can uh, – prevent people from committing crime before they've committed and spider-man's like no problem chief and that's yeah it. and yeah, yeah it's, that, tricky. it's yeah, tricky it's a little
0: tricky tricky <laughs> uh it, it is interesting to see how how they'll proceed with that in in the future for
1: yeah. sure also i will say that uh spider-punk Spider Punk That was what he was called The Daniel Kaluuya yeah. voice character Was really funny And c- annoying In the exact ways That I know people Who are like that And that was very fun Like we all know somebody Who's just a little too annoying About using big words And uh, comparisons to capitalism About everything And I like that And in the end He actually ended up Being anti-establishment And uh, helping them resist Against Oscar Isaac's Tyranny that he holds Over not collapsing The multiverse yeah, all question all Yeah that yeah. was cool It was all yeah. the spider people cool yeah.
0: character i i like him i love his as uh, cool uh character how he's drawn how he always has like yeah. a interesting yeah. background on his
1: character yeah. he looks like yeah like a z yeah or like uh like the cover of the sex pistols yeah, de- album. definitely like, giving yeah, sex it's very pistols. cool yeah it was very cool i liked it a lot i'm glad i went and saw it in theaters Same. too um it was – because I, I didn't see the first one in theaters, and after having not, I kind of regretted it because that movie is just so beautiful. I was like, the next time they do one of these, I want to see it, like, big screen. Yeah. So, I'm also glad yeah, that we, we
0: decided – we, as Jesse and I, decided to see this instead of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Oh, oh yeah, because really? I was like, oh. I've heard it's, like, pretty good. I've heard it's pretty good, but this was really good.
1: Yeah, that's true. I've heard that it's pretty good – and I think part of that is that it's especially in comparison to the last set of Marvel movies, which have just been pretty mid. Like, I heard Ant-Man was mid, and I heard Thor was mid, and so I think it's – maybe it's a comparison thing. I don't know. I'll probably watch Guardians 3 at some point because I've like I've heard that's a good send-off to some of those characters, and I've, I've liked those characters in past things. But I am definitely feeling that MCU fatigue. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I was also um... – you know, you watch the trailers that they show before the actual movie comes on, and they were mm-hmm. showing some cute animated films like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh,
1: yeah, that has similar animation. Yeah, as that was cool. Yeah. Uh,
0: the the Disney Pixar movie Elemental, or El- I think it's called that. Uh, it's like a fire yeah, girl so, yeah. and a water boy. That's cute. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. And then they show like yeah. this blue beetle, like just incredibly mid DC movie.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't get the blue and beetle And then I like, got—I actually got the trailer the for beetle the trailer. Flash,
0: and I was like, "Bro, are we no. really doing this right now? Are we really yeah. doing this right now?" And like the jokes don't hit. <laughs> Ezra Miller is—is is Ezra Miller like?
1: Michael Keaton's Yeah, the... I was just yeah, like, it's... man, it's...
0: this is not this is not a good way to prep me for this movie. Um, yeah,
1: it's just funny because it's like when Spider Verse One came out. It was, it was pulling so much from the comics, you know, and it was very much a, it was its own thing, and it was before we got into every big IP-driven thing being a multiverse. And um, I think it was, I was reading one review, I think it was the Vox review, and the, the reviewer was saying, like, I am tired of multiverses. But when I say that I'm tired of multiverses, what I mean is that I'm tired of just, like, boring cash-ins on... A concept that can be really interesting but in practice just ends up being like a slightly different version of a character is allowed to show up in a scene and it's like since the first spider-verse movie we've gotten all the marvel shit we got everything everywhere all at once now dc's doing it so it really is impressive that the spider-man movie still managed to be as interesting and like diverse and different as it was since it is now i don't want to say it's saturated but it's like it's an idea that a lot of people are playing with yeah you know?
0: definitely i also wonder like i read this really interesting article about multiverses i forgot i forget by who but it was kind of like a cultural oh, yeah,
1: multiverses Oh, no,
0: not multiverses like the fighting oh, game I thought you... oh my god i meant multiverse <laughs> I meant like
1: the fighting game that has bug well yeah and it. lebron yeah.
0: james i meant multiverse as <laughs> like the plural of multiverse okay yeah. um It talks about, like, why are we so into this right now? Why is this having such a cultural moment? And the argument they posit is that we are living in an era of fractured realities, echo chambers, alternative facts, conspiracy theories being mainstream for at least, like, half the population. Um, And we are all kind of... I mean, if you have an uncle who's into QAnon, like, that motherfucker's in a different universe, you know? And so there's this idea of like we are all living these separate fractured realities and we also are living in incredibly like politically divisive and tumultuous times and so you combine the fractured reality with the craving for nostalgia and you have Toby Maguire showing up and people hooting and hollering and getting their fix and I think that's a really interesting idea.
1: That, that's kind of where I've been at with it that's been my grand theory of the multiverse thing for a minute is that like this is the logical end point of IP is it's like well nobody wants to do new stuff because the old stuff is how you can guarantee that people come to the movie theater but eventually you have so much stuff that it's beginning to uh, double back on itself and it's beginning to contradict past things so rather than get caught up the way like Star Wars is trying to constantly keep track of this increasingly complex canon you can just say that they all exist and yeah uh we love Toby Maguire too Toby Maguire is here now and Toby Maguire is allowed to exist alongside Tom Holland not necessarily because that's the creative push but because he wants to come back to get that check and Audiences are gonna love it and I mean I think that's kind of nakedly on display With the DC thing right now with the Flash Where it's like they are Doing the they're doing basically Like the Flashpoint storyline from the comics Where the Flash breaks reality And also like comics do this All the time and comics are Constantly breaking the universe and doing Whatever it's just very strange To see it bleed out Into other stuff the way It is and the, then you end up yeah, with something like does, everywhere everything everywhere all at once that is like massively more interesting
0: yeah it also does remind me a little bit of all these separate timelines of evangelion yeah
1: okay yeah i could see that I'd
0: hate to bring it hate to bring it back to evangelion we're back yeah <laughs> but like we're back again baby yeah i mean it's just you know there is there is a version in which toji died mm-hmm. there is a version in which toji didn't die but lost his leg. There is a version in which Toji grows up and becomes a doctor and has both of his legs. Yeah. there's just there's just a lot of shit going on um, and they're all valid and et cetera et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So cool that's that's all I have for this week though
1: That's all I got too. Um, where I guess if that's all we got, yeah where are you at on the internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always
1: i'm on twitter too noah underscore hertz spelled h-u-r-t-s the podcast is on twitter at press underscore start pod and on tumblr at press hyphen start pod you can always email us too at start at gmail.com and as always we'd appreciate if you left some kind of a review or a rating or whatever the heck on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on other than that Thank you to the artist Geist for the use of their music at the beginning and end of the show. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Kai from Wisp Graphics for our show art. Um, any closing thoughts? Any Anything else you want to add? Or
0: We should focus less on other universes and try to make ours the best one. I don't know. That was fucking corny. Damn that's fucking corny no that was
1: surprisingly deep that was surprisingly deep to end uh end our silly little podcast on but i like it that was good nice thank you very much for listening and uh go make your universe the best it can be by go doing the dish do the dishes dishes. don't be the dirty dishes universe
0: it's gross
1: Mm -mm. exactly be the clean dishes universe (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening